Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, awesome, awesome weekend of hoops ahead. Really, you could say that every single weekend for the next month Mm -hmm. or so, um, which is a good thing. And I do love this time of year. I know we talk mostly college football on this show, but I do love me some March college basketball, something that I've been getting excited for for a really, really long time. Schedule is kind of weird with the way that we record because we're actually recording this early afternoon Thursday. I think the plan is to have Adam on Monday to preview NCAA tournament stuff. I was hoping to be able to kind of have him on previewing the SEC tournament, but um, it was it was tough to do that with the timing of it, with it just meant more and all those different things. So we will still have Adam on. Hopefully the plan is early next week to get ready for the NCAA tournament. But we will still be talking some hoops today. We've also got a great interview with the extremely talented Joey Molinaro, somebody I've wanted to have on the pod for a long time. That's coming up in a bit here. And then we're going to do college drinking versus adult drinking <laughs> and figuring it out. One of my favorite figuring out subjects in a while. We've kind of touched on some of this stuff before, but we'll get into a lot more of it uh, later on. But first, the SEC's top five basketball football coach combos. I love doing this exercise. My third year in a row doing it on the SEC side. I used to do it every year on the Big Ten side as well. Mm-hmm. Some of you might have seen the, the graphic that we put out on social media, which yes, that was my ranking, but Obviously, it lacks some context with, with you know being able to explain these rankings. So that's what we're gonna hear. That's what we're gonna do here today, basically. When you submit um, a graphic, you gotta have a swipe over towards just your take that explains all the context, so <laughs> people don't yell at you. Right? Just like, uh, yeah, give me, give me just this, the smallest, um, like a, a Kyler Murray statement, if you will, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that size of print. <laughs> Hopefully I can explain it a little bit better than he did, but every single ranking has that type of explanation. And in all caps, of course. Gotta have all caps if you don't. What are you really doing here? Um, and hopefully I would explain things better than Emmanuel Acho explains anything. Yeah, oh, um, oh, I mean, you're already off to it. You're using words, so you're off to a great start. Yeah, using words and not just throwing stuff out there that definitely isn't true. And gosh, what a fall from grace, Emmanuel Acho. Uh, that kind of bumps me out. But anyway, not talking Emmanuel Acho today or Calvin Ridley. Let's be honest here. Obviously, um, all sports matter. We're kind of in the SEC. We're, we're in a place in the SEC where we're talking a lot more about um, you know some of the non-big revenue sports, right? We are gymnastics, SUNY Lee, SEC baseball is is at such a crazy place right now. Softball, the popularity of that is just going through the roof right now. Mm-hmm. There there is a lot of of great things going on in the non-basketball football realm in the SEC. So I'm not trying to lessen that today. And I don't want anybody to kind of interpret this. What I'm about to say is ignoring those two things. But if you're a fan of a specific university or you graduated there, whatever the case may be, there are a lot of bragging rights at stake with the two big revenue sports. Mm -hmm. Will, is it fair to say that when you think of LSU and bragging rights, and I know LSU baseball is a very, very big deal as well. LSU gymnastics has had a, a, a big growth in popularity these last few years. But is it fair to say that when you talk bragging rights, basketball, football, that's coming up every time, right? Yep. Yep. LSU fans have that weird little caveat where they be like, oh, we're the best baseball program in the SEC. But if you're doing that, you've kind of lost. So I definitely agree with you. <laughs> I think of it this way. If you're an athletic director, you know how important it is to have your head coach figured out in those two sports. Absolutely. Really big deal. Got to get those things right. It is so hard 
at the Power Five level and specifically in the SEC to get both of those hires right. Mm -hmm. Right around this time last year, I did a, a deep dive into how rare it is to have an elite combo of basketball and football coaches at your school at the same time. Again, specific to the SEC. The number I brought up was that since the start of the 1980-1981 school year, we have never seen an SEC men's basketball coach and a football coach there at the same school at the same time for 10 years together. The, the streak has to have started 1980-81 school year. Keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. As long as Cal doesn't retire, which I don't think that's gonna happen, Kentucky will achieve that feat at the end of next school year. Mm -hmm. look, around, look around the SEC. Well, remember the stat that I brought up uh, last week? Other than Kentucky, and we were just talking about this before we came on, actually. Other than Kentucky, the longest tenured football-basketball coach combo was Kirby Smart and Tom Crean at Georgia, which dated back to 2018. All right, Kiss that one goodbye. Yeah, rest in peace. Um, I, I had definitely volunteered to write the Tom Crean eulogy for Saturday Down South, so um, I probably will need to do that at some point very soon here. <laughs> Anyways. I'm sure that'll be for the heavy heart. You'll be dumping on Tom Green. <laughs> yes, I will say, oh man, I'll give him his flowers, as the kids mm -hmm. like to say. You know that's the case. That basically means that other than Kentucky, the next longest tenured football basketball coach combo in the SEC dates back to the 2019-2020 school year. Way that's back crazy. in the day. Yeah. Of course. Who could forget? A lot of that is football because we've had 10 coaching changes in the last three seasons. Still, though, that's pretty wild. As I'm going through this ranking, you're going to think that at least one of these coaches really hasn't proven much yet. And you're probably right, because that's how it is for everybody not named Kentucky at this point. And just in case you are wondering, this is a 50-50 split in terms of how each sport is valued. We're not just going to do the thing where we throw one sport away and say, well, you know, obviously I'd rather have Nick Saban, so give me <laughs> Alabama. You can't just say... Um, well, you know, you take Kirby and just pretend that basketball doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And then you can't do that, that thing at Auburn, too, where you would just take Bruce Pearl and pretend that football doesn't matter because everybody knows that Auburn is basketball. School. I'll tell you what, Paul, I'll take Kirby Smart in an empty chair. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sure you're not alone at this point. That's basically what you had in Tom Green at Georgia. That's okay, right. enough Tom Green hate. Enough Tom Green hate. One last thing, George did make the top five, neither did Auburn, mm -hmm. okay? Just didn't feel like that was a, a fair trade-off. Didn't feel like the other coach was pulling their weight in this argument. It really wasn't much of a debate for me either. My biggest debate might've actually been in that first spot, the number the number five spot. So let's, let's get into it. I went with Josh Heupel and Rick Barnes at Tennessee, and it was between Tennessee and Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. I went back and forth on it because I love Buzz Williams, and I do think that Jimbo Fisher is one of the best coaches in the sport, even if he is a touch overrated. If the Aggies were on the brink of an NCAA tournament appearance or something like that, which, you know, SEC tournament is ongoing as we speak, you know, TBD on, on all of that, maybe that'll be decided by the time people are listening to this. Or if AM had made it to like a New Year's Six Bowl for the second consecutive year this past season, maybe that would have pushed it in favor of AM. But I went with Tennessee. Some might laugh at Heupel being here on a list like this because if we were just ranking the SEC's top five football coaches, he wouldn't be on that list yet. But two things that cannot be denied. Did Tennessee surpass expectations in year one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, I think we agree on that. Other thing, and even less debatable, did Josh Heupel just deliver his fourth consecutive top 10 offense? Yes, facts. Fact. 
did it in two very different situations, right? I mean, I don't think anybody would look at UCF, yeah, and compare it to exactly what he inherited at Tennessee, where offensively speaking, there really weren't a whole lot of pieces that you thought, oh, absolutely, he's going to turn that around and make it a top 10 offense overnight. But that is exactly what he did. Josh Heupel is an elite offensive mind. And for now, I'd say he's an average head coach that we need to see more of. Is that is that a, a worthy evaluation of Josh Heupel? Yes. I feel like the first thing I ever said on this podcast was that I thought Josh, Josh Heupel would struggle a little bit in the SEC. And I mean, Hey man, they they won eight games last year. Yes, their record says seven and six, but they won eight games. <laughs> so, like at the end of the day, if we had started with this, with the you know, hey Tennessee fans, Tennessee after you know McDonald's bag gate is going to win eight football games in the SEC, you'd be like, you know, I'll take that. So I'm blown away by him. I think that he did a lot this year to really like make. We, we joked about the first quarter stuff, which was hilarious. It's like, but overall, you know, you're playing an exciting brand of football, and if you're going to be a touch above average, exciting is the way to do it, man. Yes, yes. You said joked as if we have st- we will stop joking about the first quarter stuff. That is an ongoing thing. Oh yes. If they are if they are world beaters in the first quarter, and then it's Jekyll and Hyde with them after the post. 15 play script. We will continue to make those jokes. Make no mistake. Listen, they'd be number one on this list if we had first 15 play hype, right? Oh, gosh. God, we no question about it. So, having said that, Rick Barnes is doing more of the heavy lifting here. Right? Like, everybody knows that. Yeah. It's not all about just the resumes and who's the most accomplished coach. It's partially historical, partially current. The guy has 25 NCAA tournament appearances. I mean, that's crazy to think about. Hasn't had a losing record in SEC play in five years. It helps a little, probably, with this ranking that his team went on a tear the last three weeks of the regular season and looks poised to potentially give Rick Barnes his first Elite Eight appearance since 2016. Again, it's the tournament. Anything can happen. That's all up in the air. But there's at least a decent chance that it could happen. I bring that up because that's the argument working against him and why Tennessee probably isn't higher. As much as March is a crapshoot, it's still kind of baffling for me to think that a coach as highly regarded as Rick Barnes is has not made it past the Sweet 16 since I was a senior in high school. That's that's crazy, man. Like, since Curse Lofton days. That's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. But still, a really solid duo that Tennessee fans should be feeling good about. Danny White should be feeling good about. There's a reason why you go from UCF to a place like Tennessee. It's so that you can hopefully inherit a couple of coaches who know what they're doing at the Power 5 level. Or Am I too you. bullish hey. on that duo? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Am I too bullish on that duo at 5? No, I, I think that's perfect. I think Rick Barnes has gotten to a point where he's almost underrated, as weird as it sounds, because hmm. he was this guy who was kind of... Came, he was like, there was this big swath of like big name head coaches coming to the SEC in basketball, and he was one of the you know, bigger name guys. And then I would say he maybe underachieved a little bit. And, and the thing about Tennessee is they're always kind of I'm trying to think how to say this. I think that Bruce Pearl has made them, made Rick Barnes underappreciated because obviously they can look across the aisle and see, ah, oh, we used to have Bruce Pearl, he's amazing. But like Rick Barnes' resume is amazing, and I think he's great for Tennessee. I think that, you know, if you're a, a true, and I, you know, they're a football school. They're just straight up a football school. They have that insane stadium. They have great traditions. And, you know, Rick Barnes is doing pretty much the best you can expect to do at Tennessee. He's he's not quite like Billy Donovan level, you know what I'm saying? But he's super consistent. And, like, what I, what I always view it with, like, a college basketball coach is, can you go to the stadium, have a good time? 
You know what I'm saying? Especially in the SEC, it's like, you know, and he's a guy who consistently will not embarrass you. He's a guy who is just kind of brings it, you know, more or less every year. So maybe he didn't make exactly the splash that we thought he would coming in, but I, I think he's a great coach, man. Yeah, when he was rumored to be in the market for that UCLA job, that was a, a big deal mm-hmm. at Tennessee. And there were a lot of questions. Do they have what it takes to be able to keep him on board? What exactly would it mean to lose a coach of his caliber to have to go out and replace him? Like there were a lot of different things that we kind of were were digging into with what he brings to the table and what he's been able to kind of build up because they're recruiting at an extremely high level. Um, but yeah, I, I think Rick Barnes is a great coach. And as somebody who went to a school that has really struggled to find good coaches, stay out of trouble and stay relevant um, for the last 20 years or so. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> Rick Barnes should be absolutely appreciated. Okay, this one's gonna raise some eyebrows. I got Brian Kelly and Will Wade at number four. Everybody's gonna have a reaction to that, I fully get it. <laughs> Part of it is because Brian Kelly hasn't coached the game at LSU, Will Wade is public enemy number one. For what it's worth, yes, I absolutely did take into consideration the NCAA investigation that Wade is under, the notice of allegations that LSU somehow needed to wait four years to get. Shout out NCAA. Uh, thank you for being prompt, as you always are. Listen, God. shout out to one of my the most heated arguments I've ever had. It's ongoing, me and Brady, the last five years. Who is more inept, the federal government or the NCAA? And you know, they got, they're both in here right now. Yeah, they're, they're not exactly uh, the most fleet of foot organizations. We can say that. Personally, I'm not a big Wade guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not to, I'm going to give him his credit in, in a minute here. I'm not really crazy about his team style in the previous years. I think they could be a really, really tough watch with how little they defend. Go figure that now. The Ken Palm deficient, the defensive efficiency numbers are really, really good. I think they're like number three in the country, mm-hmm. or they were going into conference tournament week. But Will, here's a wild thought for you. If LSU wins a game in the NCAA tournament, which I think they're gonna be favored in that first round matchup, we'll kind of wait and see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. It would be the first time that LSU won an NCAA tournament game three times in a four year stretch since the Jimmy Carter administration. Boy. And that's even, you know how much I love to bring up the Jimmy Carter administration. Oh yes. Big personal favorite of mine. And that's actually even including the the canceled 2020 tournament when LSU was second in the SEC on the brink of another favorable first round matchup. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Shaq only won two NCAA tournament games during his three years in Baton Rouge, right? Like that's, it's crazy to think about that. Mm-hmm. Will Wade is, as John Rothstein likes to say, the American gangster, okay? But what's pretty undeniable is that he is elevated the floor of LSU basketball to a different place that it has been in the last 30 years. Has he fully maximized the talent with all the different guys that he's had coming in? God, all the N- NBA ready guys? I think we would say no, right? Mm-hmm. But getting that talent in the door, being relevant, being relevant in this league, in this conference, still carries some weight. And Will Wade has definitely brought that to the table, uh, not necessarily with the most unanimous support. And he, of course, will continue to be public enemy number one as long as he is LSU's basketball coach. As for Kelly. Nobody in their right mind would leave Kelly out of the top 10 of any national list of the best coaches in the sport. Mm -hmm. You just wouldn't. Ryan Day, Kirby Smart, Dabo Sweeney, Brian Kelly, Nick Saban, Lincoln Riley. That is the list of active coaches with multiple playoff berths. Okay, that's it. Not very long. If you're going to knock him for the lack of playoff success, remember that only six programs have won a playoff game. Okay, so Mm -hmm. once you kind of get into that five to eight range when you're doing these coach rankings, 
you got to rank somebody, okay? And you can't just base it on ranks. Can't just be like, be, be a hater and say everybody sucks. You got to actually put get, names down. Got to put names down. You can't go back into the archives and say, Bosham Beckler should be on this <laughs> list or something like that. Like, got to pick the active coaches. That's the way that it works. Brian Kelly, Will Wade are by no means the most likable duo, <laughs> but that is not what we're here to decide today. Any problem with your LSU Tigers at number four? Yeah, I, seeing these two names together is just, man, we have just become the empire, huh? Um, <laughs> man, I just, replacing Coach O with Brian Kelly did such a PR hit for us. You know, you're talking to Joey later, and he was obviously a big Coach O guy, but yeah, I think that, you know, my quote with Will Wade is like, okay, so this is a guy who is kind of, <laughs> is a guy who skirts the rules, he's a jerk, he's in your face, but he wins, and his name is Will. And I was like, and you want me to hate this guy? I was like, this guy's right? me. I was like, so yeah, like, I, I think Will Wade is, uh, he's polarizing for sure. I mean, I, I think that he's the type of guy, though, it's like, <sighs> Will Wade is a great example of how the NCAA has changed, because Will Wade is doing some of the things that certain programs are doing in football right now. And he was in, in trouble for it, you know what I'm saying, in 2017, 18, where people would still grab their chest and say, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. So on the one hand, I don't really have any value with him, quote unquote, cheating the system because this is the stuff that the Blue Blood programs have been doing forever. And to compete with those programs, you need to do it. It's just, it's, it is what it is. It's almost like when, um, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use that example because I don't get but there have been times when, let's just say, certain football programs have done certain things that wouldn't have gotten other football programs in trouble. And this is basically where LSU has been. It's that to win, you need to get these one done. You need to get these recruits. He's been a great recruiter. When you described what he has is a style of any kind, I think that's generous. I don't think he has an offensive style. I think that he hmm. just throws some dudes out there and says, figure it out. Um, and yeah, I, I think that they, the for the talent, they've underperformed. But at the same time, exactly what you said, LSU was so, not so, LSU was pretty overrated as a basketball school simply because they've had so many players come through there. You know, the Shaqs, the Pete Maraviches, Bob Pettits, all those guys. But really, when you look at, like, I saw a stat that was like, LSU's only made the tournament like 11 times in the last, like, like 30 years. LSU is not a really great basketball school. So for the wing that Will Wade has done, and like, yeah, he's like this brash kind of a jerk of a guy, but it's like, that's the sport, man. Like who is the cool, chill guy that is like an elite basketball coach? I mean, there's probably one or two, but really like, that's who it is. So yeah, I don't have any problems with Will Wade. I, I hopefully, I think he gets retained or I hope he does because I, I, he wins and it's nice to watch winning basketball. Brian Kelly, very similar situation. He wins. People don't like him, but he wins. So yeah, I think that he might, you know, we never know. He might fall off a cliff, but I think with the recruiting cycle and, and everything kind of playing out the way it is, it would be, as you said, foolish to not include him somewhere. Yeah, I, I think that's perfectly fair. I, I think that we're, um, we look at LSU through a different sort of lens because of what Wade, what, what Will Wade has brought to the table um, off the court. And, but if you actually just sit there and look at what he's done from a resume standpoint mm -hmm. and the fact that LSU basketball has had a really tough time staying relevant. Mm -hmm. It's just not easy and it's been more of a flash in the pan instead of this consistent success. And there are a lot of people who have been kind of waiting for the bottom to fall out with with this program because of this NCAA investigation. And I mean, knock on wood, it still hasn't happened yet. So until that does actually happen, until we hear that, oh, the program is in shambles and this is, you know, sanctions here, 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 and here, all over the place, then I think that it's perfectly fine to put LSU in the top five. I just, we are living in an environment, we are pro strong ass football offer and anti-strong-ass basketball offer. And that's all I'm gonna say. There's people still mad at Will Wade for that when we are legally giving kids money for football, and it's ridiculous to me. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just <laughs> the way that it was always gonna work. Yep. Um, you said uh, basketball coaches who are calm, cool, collected. 
Jay Wright. That's probably the, the biggest one I can think oh, of, right? He's so swagged out, man. I love Jay Wright. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I think the top three is loaded. Top three is really, yep. really good. I think there's, there's separation between four and three, in my opinion. I have Sam Pittman and Eric Musselman. And it kind of amazed me that some Arkansas fans found this ranking, number three. They found it to be disrespectful. I heard from my buddy Ty Richardson. Look, if you know me, you know I praise Hunter Juracek at every chance I get. Oh, yeah. He's one of two athletic directors on this list who actually made both of the hires, which I think needs to be remembered as well. Mm-hmm. Neither of them were slam dunks, of course. Pittman criticized because of the lack of coordinator head coaching experience at the FBS level. Musselman seemed like a bit of a coin flip in that he was by no means this splashy hire. And, and I don't think everyone was sold that he'd need just two years to take Arkansas to a place that it hadn't been in the 21st century, but that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. What they have done so far with coaches early in their tenure is live up to this dream scenario. I mean, truly, think about this. It, it's like the optimistic but unrealistic fan take about how quickly they'll turn things around after they get hired. Yep. Right? Once you start talking expectations, and fans will pretend like there's not any sort of hurdles in their way and that that Sam Pittman isn't in the toughest division in college football and Eric Musselman, you know, you you haven't been this this relevant program in basketball in a really long time. You've had individual players here or there, but having a team that truly buys into what you're doing is just not always easy to do, even in the SEC. But this has played out so unbelievably well. So why are they not in a top two spot yet? Because that's where some of the discrepancy was. They don't have a New Year's Six Bowl appearance or a Final Four with those two guys, okay? That sounds really lofty, because it is. I'm not putting Sam Pittman ahead of Mark Stoops, and I'm not putting Eric Musselman ahead of Cal. Just not, mm-hmm. all right? John Calipari wins that argument. I'm sorry. You could say that he hasn't done enough with the talent that he's had. I'm actually going to get to that in a second here and why this year is a little bit different. I'd maybe give a slight lean to Musselman over Nate Oates, but it's obviously a lot more lopsided once we start talking Nick Saban versus Sam Pittman. Mm-hmm. Okay, just had Sam Pittman on last week. You know we love Sam Pittman, but come on. Yes, sir. That's why number three feels fair for Arkansas. It would need to probably be either and or a New Year's Six Bowl appearance from Sam Pittman or maybe a run to the Final Four from Musselman to change that, to move them into that next group, that top two. But make no mistake, this has all the makings of a program who is going to join Kentucky as the only other SEC program since 1980 to have a men's basketball coach and a football coach in the same school for 10 plus years. I think they are well on their way to making that happen. Is it fair to have Arkansas at three or do you think they belong in the top two? I think with Arkansas, you got to really just look at resources here, man. I mean, you have the football resource place in America, in, in Alabama, right ahead of them, right? And obviously, they're, they're not a one-dimensional thing, I understand that, but nobody spends on football like Alabama. So obviously, Nick Saban's the greatest coach in, in football history, maybe, I mean, other than Belichick. So yeah, I mean, as much as it pains me to admit, yeah, and then you look at number one, it's like Kentucky is that with basketball. So it's like, if you're Arkansas, you're ahead of, you know, Texas A&M and Florida. Two programs that are these massive money programs that are, you know, prioritized across all sports. And so if you look at, you know, um, my favorite story in the Bible is the parable of the talents, right? It's about this dude who is given money or these, these group of people who are given money. And it's what you do with the money that you're given, right? So Juracek, I mean, he's been given, you know, 
two talents, and he has turned them into 10. And there are certain programs that have started off really high and fallen low. There are certain programs who have started off high and stayed high. It takes something special to take Arkansas from where they started. You know what I'm saying? To even, I mean, it's crazy to think, you know, three, four, or five years ago what Arkansas was in, in both of these sports. And they were just kind of an afterthought. And we were sitting here, you know, as national, you know, pundits or writers thinking, Okay, like where does Arkansas fit into all this? Like, are they gonna yes. are they gonna hang around in the SEC? Not not like they're gonna leave, but like, are they gonna be a doormat forever? Because we almost couldn't see the path to even get seventy five percent of here. And so it's like, yeah, you're within striking distance of these two programs who have had hundreds of years at this point of building to get here. So it's like, I think that that's so impressive for them. I, I I'm just I'm blown away by and it's not just Sam Pittman; it's the coordinators. It's like. Every hire they've made has just been a dream scenario. So, I mean, yeah, it's going to be pretty hard to get over. Like you said, a guy like Calipari, you know, Stoops, Saban, like those are those are like institutions. But, you know, who's to say we're looking back in five or six years? Like it's just longevity at this point. Yeah. If you did this ranking two and a half years ago, Arkansas is 13 or 14. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like Vandy or Arkansas, who wants the last spot? And if it's during the Chad Morris era, you could probably make a case that Arkansas was 14. So I look at that and I say, look, there are so many programs across college sports that would just kill to be in this spot right now. To have two coaches that you feel like are in it for the long haul. And I think despite the there was a little bit of a debate about would Eric Musselman leave for for somewhere else somewhere more that has even more basketball tradition than Arkansas and would he take more money to go elsewhere while they were negotiating that contract I think Musselman's in it for the long haul mm-hmm. I, I think as long as he doesn't blow the program up it's as long as it's not some unforeseen run of just missing the NCAA tournament, I think they will have him there as long as they possibly can. And we've seen that what he's been able to do with transfers these last couple of years, it's like, well, he's not necessarily trying to you know, go out and get the five-star recruit all the time. And he's able to do it in kind of a different way. So that's a little bit more sustainable maybe. But I would still be so encouraged. I would be so encouraged. I don't know that there's five programs in in college sports that have a better situation right now than what Arkansas has. Mm-hmm. There just happen to be two in the SEC, in my opinion. Exactly. That's just it. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. maybe we could you know, pin this down for all-season content later, but it's like athletic director rankings. Like, that, that's what you need. You need to go to athletic director, yeah. and they have that in, you know, knocked out of the park. Yeah. Okay, let's do two. Um, I got Nick Saban and Nate Oates. Mm-hmm. One, two, pretty interchangeable. Pretty interchangeable. If you have... Alabama at number one, I'm not going to argue with you. Mm-hmm. This, would, for me, was more about what Kentucky did this past school year that pushed them over the top, just for me personally. I'll get to that in a minute. Nate Oates led Alabama to its first Sweet 16 in 17 years. Who in the world knows how this season is going to end? But if it ends with an NCAA tournament victory, it'll be the first time that Alabama did that in consecutive years since the Antonio McDice, Jason Caffey days of the mid-90s. Oh, boy. Who could forget? Antonio McDice, man. That guy was really, really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Denver Nuggets. Maybe the worst uniforms ever, but whatever. I'm sorry. Which Denver Nuggets uniforms? <laughs> the the mid-90s brown ones. Oh, you know what? Yep, you're right. Okay. Not the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Okay, thank no, God. No, 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 I will no, fight no, no. those no. for my life. Okay, got it. No, we're, we're not talking early Dikembe Mutombo. Okay. We're talking, yeah, a li- little bit of a different story. Why they rebranded to that. They're like, hey, you know what's really popping right now is brown. Let's go with that. <laughs> Never Weird have I thought that in my life. Anyway. Yeah, like one of the best state flags ever, and they paid homage to it. And instead, they're like, let's go with a different look. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
Um, NATO's coming off a year in which he led Alabama to a sweep of the SEC regular season, SEC tournament titles. Hadn't happened at Alabama since 1987. Even though this year so far has been a lot less consistent than many were expecting, probably not having like an, not having Herb Jones as the glue guy being a big part of that, in my opinion. God, I love Herb um, Jones. Sorry. Great player. Great player. Maybe discounted with the preseason outlook of this team. By myself, admittedly, and all the different things they did for him. And I don't know how much better this team would be with him because they still have some other issues with size and all those different things. But whatever, I I think that's that's been probably, um, as Alabama fans know, a big part of why this team has been so up and down. Anyways, though, I don't think you're selling your NATO stock. Not at this point. You probably wouldn't sell low on it right now. It's a little bit lower. Maybe you're actually buying a little bit low on it because even in a disappointing year, we're still seeing the upside, the wins against Gonzaga, Baylor, Houston. You're probably still ranking Oates as a top five coach in the conference, depending on the year that his team has. Top five or borderline top five. Maybe you have him at six or something like that. In the Saban side of this, I don't really need to argue, so I won't. Um, <laughs> Saban, pretty just good. In case, yeah, pretty good. Uh, confirmed good. Mm-hmm. Just in case there's any debate, though, I am not saying that Saban versus Cal is a wash, because it's not. I do, however, think that Cal is probably not that far away from being considered the best coach in college basketball, even if the resume is much different because... I think college basketball has a much, much different and more random way of determining a champion than college football. Mm -hmm. Somewhere, someone probably just took that as me hating on college basketball or saying that I think college football has a perfect postseason. Neither of those things are true. Just a different sport and the way that we value coaches, just different. Somewhere between 100 teams and four is probably the amount that we need in the playoff, I feel. (laughs) Yeah, somewhere in there. We can figure it out. I think we will in time. Any thoughts on Bama at two, or should I just go to Kentucky at one? No, yeah, I think that Oates is a pretty good example. I'm not going to call him a hope merchant necessarily, but I think that he started so strong, and I think people, you know, especially within Bama Twitter, were sure they had the next John Wooden on campus, and it's like, I think he's a great coach. I really do. I I think that this ranking is fair. I think that he will certainly bounce back, but, you know, I'm saying, I, I think that, you know, first off, in a bad year, you know what I'm saying, Alabama's 9-9 conference, 19-12 and uh, 12 overall, it's like, that's a good place to be. I think the Oates is good, but I just I don't think he's as good as we thought he was or as bad as we think he is. I think he's just kind of like a very good coach, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I, I think that Bama is, they've done it. They're pretty much good at everything. Yes, they, they are. And, and I've, I've been pretty high on Oates since since he came to Alabama, and I really liked that hire and thought mm-hmm. his, I, I like his style of play a little bit more, even though it is kind of maddening with all the threes they take. It's very modern basketball. I, I get that. But but he has a style of play. He has a brand. He has a system. He develops guys. He's a good coach. Yes. He has an identity. He can recruit to it. It's it's very, very clear. Not that LSU struggles in the recruiting department or anything like that, but it's just a little bit different to watch Alabama play, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Number one, we got Kentucky, Stoops and Cal. Mm-hmm. What I love about what we've seen this school year from Kentucky is that we saw two coaches who had total job security, no issues with it whatsoever. Oh, am I going to get fired? They both made big time adjustments. I have already talked a lot about Stoops overhauling the offense, firing his buddy Eddie Grant. <laughs> I think there, there's definitely something to be said for that. But the way to separate the person in your office 
who just kind of casually, you know, maybe picks up a bracket around this time of year versus the person who actually watched them basketball during the regular season is to ask them about Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Ask them what they think about this year's team because it is a totally different era from the one and dones. Mm -hmm. If if Sheway comes back to school, which seems possible at least with him now able to make that NIL money, there's a chance that Kentucky might only have one guy drafted and it could do so while having a legitimate Final Four team. Those two things never have lined up, right? If we were talking about a Kentucky team that didn't have these future NBA guys or something like that, it was, oh, you know, they got Kyle Wilcher or something like that. <laughs> Wilcher, man, what a it's guy. like the, t- the 2013 team or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Like, we were talking about Kentucky being in a very different place. And this is kind of what Kentucky fans have been clamoring for. Cal's collection of talent with guys who stayed and guys he acquired via the transfer portal, it is different than any team he's had. And if this team makes a deep run, it'll feel way different than any of those teams did from 2012 to 2015. Even if it doesn't necessarily end up with some national championship run, which that's on the table now. I think Kentucky fans are absolutely open themselves up to that based on what I've seen from social media, based on talking to my sister-in-law who works there and my brother who you know lives there, obviously. But I still think this is a phenomenal coaching job by Cal. And I know that it's very, very easy to dismiss him. And he's never going to... To, to kind of get that sort of love because of the talent that he's usually bringing in the door. I totally get that. Think about this if you're Mitch Barnhart, Kentucky Athletic Director. Mm-hmm. If Kentucky makes it to the Final Four, or maybe even just the Elite Eight, this will be the best football-basketball combo year in Lexington since the 1977-78 school year. Who was president then, Connor? I, I, that, was, that was still Jimmy Carter. That was still Jimmy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> it's always Jimmy Carter. It's always Jimmy Carter. <laughs> It's like how I always do the thing on Twitter, like the A, B, C, D, or E, E is all the above. I'm like, it's E, it's always E. Mm-hmm. It's always Jimmy Carter, every single time. I just need to make our art our, our, for this episode just a picture of Jimmy Carter and just confuse everybody. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, see, you know, the Gerald Ford administration always throws me off because he took over for Nixon. Yeah. He didn't get the re-up. You know, it's a little bit complicated. It gets a little bit hairy there. Listen, but if you yes, want Gerald Ford and Denver Nuggets uniform talk, you're in the right place, buddy. <laughs> you absolutely are. Okay, so think about this, though. If you're Mitch Barnhart, you've got Cal, probably a top five coach in the sport. Mm -hmm. I I can admit that. You've also got Stoops, who is easily the program's best coach since Bear Bryant was in Lexington. Mm -hmm. You have two guys on campus right now who have a legitimate path to having statues on campus. I mean, that's crazy. Cal would probably, and then I started going down the statue rabbit hole of what each coach would need to probably get to that point. I think Cal would need another ring. I think maybe Stoops would need a few more 10-win seasons, though we're talking about a guy who owns the program's best two seasons in the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. So it's really not saying that much. That seems certainly possible. The statue conversation is there, okay? It's there. And I don't think it, it is with any other any other duo on any of these campuses right now. And so, yeah, it's not just about the resume. It's not about the most accomplished coach. I think that still has to matter. And if you look at what's happened this past school year, you could definitely make the case that both of them are doing really, really good things right now, even with all that, what all that they've been able to accomplish in Lexington. Thoughts on Kentucky or thoughts on just the rankings overall? No, yeah, I think I, I think Kentucky is pretty much a lock here. Like you said, I mean, what was that stat you threw out? Ten coaches in football replaced in the last three years? 
Yeah, in the last three off seasons. That's yeah, only four coaches have been. Only four football coaches have can claim that they coached their current program during the 2010s decade. That is insane. Yeah. So like that being said, you know, we've talked about it how consistency and kind of patience I think is really important. And I think that on the Stoops, you know, tip, he was given that. He was given a long leash and I think that he's built this brand. We've talked about him over and over again. We're both really big Kentucky guys. And then on you know the same tip, the turnaround like you said that Cal has made this year, I think has been awesome. Uh, Cal is a guy that I often call the last miles of basketball. I think that he brought in a bunch of talent and then just ran them into a brick wall over and over and over again for like, you know, four or five years. And I think that he has finally realized and they've Changed out some of the recruiting personnel, and they've they've kind of really just overhauled what they're doing. And and evolution, as we've talked about, you know, adapt or die. Cal has started to do that a little bit more, and he was a guy that it was very, it was very like uh like a like a high floor type of guy for a while, and, and he's kind of showing us this year why he also has that high ceiling. So yeah, I think that um, I think that overall, you know, as an AD, it's got to be an absolute dream to be at Kentucky and just know you got two guys that you know, especially you know, represent your program well. I think that. The brand that Calipari had had when he kind of got there, as far as you know, the Derrick Rose stuff and everything, feels like, I mean, it feels like a hundred years ago now. Feels like he is just Mr. Kentucky. Feels like he he like I said represents them well, and I think that it's almost like he was almost like the original Will Wade, if you really want to think about it. He was like this young, fiery guy who was getting recruits. He was, you know, he obviously went to the NBA. It's an interesting comp, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was. He just kind of thought he was, you know, he thought he was the dude. He thought he was the, you know, and, and he obviously, as he's gotten older, I think he has become more of a statesman, and I think that they're just in a phenomenal place going forward. Does Kentucky have the best situation nationally with basketball-football coach combos? That, that is interesting. You would put Ohio State up there with Ryan Day, Chris Holtman, Lexington native Chris mm-hmm. Holtman, I, I would not put this group at number one because I think they're a touch overrated. Greg Gard, Paul Christ in the mix. Don't don't tell me that Paul Christ is a better coach than than Mark Stoops. I don't I don't want to hear. I, I miss me on that take. All right. Um, Tom Izzo, Mel Tucker. We're just going around the Big Ten right now. Yeah. Um, they would get a mention, but probably still a few years off from Tucker establishing himself as like a top 10, top 15 coach in the sport. You're going to set me on fire, but I'll say it. USC. Uh, USC doesn't have a basketball coach right now. They they just extended him. Oh, they just extended. Oh, that's what it was. was. (laughs) Did you think he got fired? Eh, I thought he got fired. Yeah, that shows you how much I pay attention to Pac-12. <laughs> Pac-12 hoops, yeah, so you're not missing much, but yeah, I think, I, I, you know, I, uh, infield. I think I think they're pretty they're pretty solid. Uh, okay. You know, <laughs> here's one. Hmm. Yeah, sorry about that. You're good. Uh, I, I got a few holes in my game. I guess that's one of them. What about Baylor? Dave Aranda, Scott Drew, Scott Drew coming off a national championship, just had uh, what best AP finish in school history after winning the Sugar Bowl. I think that's one to, to kind of to put a pin in. At least it, it would absolutely be part of the conversation if Dave Aranda could follow up this year with another big-time season if you know, Scott Drew goes to another Final Four this year, which certainly seems like it's on the table. Um, that, that's one that I think you would kind of go through that initial list and then you would forget about that one and then come back to that, but that should be part of the conversation. We'll see what Dave Aranda's future holds. I have all the Dave Aranda stock, so... yeah. Very optimistic. I, I think they bought. I think they bought Tennessee off this list. Yeah, I mean, it fused just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, so, I just mean like. Yeah, they would definitely bump Tennessee off this list. No, I'm no, saying, no like, you're they, talking nationally. I'm just saying like, yeah. Oh, for number one, then yeah, I, I think yeah. they're they're definitely in that conversation. Gosh, Rand is so nasty, man. Yeah. 
How about this from a group of five? Last one here. Houston, Dana Holgerson, Kelvin Sampson. Oh man, those are two funny names together, aren't they? You know that pains me to say. <laughs> that really, really does. We might get Dana Holgerson on the pod soon. Um, working on that one. Working on that. TBD on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Kelvin Sampson is unfortunately done some really impressive things or whatever at Houston. I'm totally not bitter about it. And According totally to not sources, that, some would say Connor RC has blocked out that part of his brain. Yeah, not bitter at all. That's sending text messages, which is totally legal now. Um, he did too much of it at Indiana and put the program into a tailspin. Not bitter about it at all. Not bitter. You up, question um, mark? Yeah, you up. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that discussion was good. Let us know uh, what, what everyone, you know, drop it in the comments, um, what everybody thinks about ranking basketball, football coach combos. I think it's just a fun conversation to be, had, to be had every single year, right around this time of year, right around March. I love being able to do that. Let's kick it to Joey, Joey Molinero. Joey has become just such a must follow on social media. If you aren't following him on social media, you've probably watched several of his videos in these last few years. He has had some pretty cool interactions as well with big name SEC personalities. So we got to dig into that, his career, a whole lot more. Here is Joey Molinero. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Joey Molinero. It actually feels weird to announce you as Joey um, because I'm so used to one of three things, either a Johnson or a this guy, or we'll get like the Collinsworth slide in, silent chuckle. How crazy is it that you become so synonymous with that? Like the second you come on camera. Yeah, dude, that's um, wow. That's that's funny. I'm glad that. What me and Ben Polizzi do, the the Johnson and Schmitty videos uh, are, are resonating with folks. And um, yeah, I mean, I've been lucky with uh, Chris Collinsworth. He's he's really been fun with it and, uh, you know, just kind of bought in and, and, and seems to enjoy them. And um, yeah, I haven't had the same luck with a few different people in that category, but uh, CC's always been good to me. Okay, you got to name names then. Um... I, we're going to get to the Saban face-to-face. I definitely want to talk about that. But are, are there some who have been a little bit like, hey, we, we don't really like what you're doing here. We feel like you're making fun of us instead of, you know, coming in with this, like, very harmless approach? No. You said we are going to get to Saban, and that, that is exactly who I was hinting at. So uh, he, he didn't have – we'll get to it. It wasn't a bad interaction. He didn't have anything bad to say to me. It was just perfectly Saban. Um, but no, man, I've been really lucky. Like people for the most, I mean, really everybody who I even person, sorry, my dog is getting into something that he shouldn't. Um, really everybody that I impersonate um, or do sketches their bits about has been great about it. And I think kind of like what you said, it's just because I never really tried to go at it from like a, um, yeah, like a like a like a mean spirited way, you know. I always just poke fun and maybe some of their quirky little mannerisms or stuff like that. But it's never like I'm trying to be like rude or inconsiderate. So it's a fine line, but yeah, I kind of pride myself on being able to walk it. The Collinsworth thing, I I got to imagine that you're tempted to just enter a conversation like that. And maybe sometimes, like, do you ever find yourself doing that in non-video settings? Because you have gotten to the point where it, it's it's scary how good the chuckle is, especially. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, it. Yes. So there are a few different 
characters, people that I do that sometimes I'll find myself being like, Oh wow. I kind of just, and what's even funnier is that like my wife now she'll be like, that was a little Colin Cowherd there. Like, you know, easy Cowherd, like just, just, just take a step back. Um, you know, or, or sometimes if I get real animated around my family, they'll be like, all right, Saban, you know, cool it with the shoulders, you know? So, uh, that definitely does happen. I'll have to check myself every now and then, or like, I'll be watching back a different sketch that I'll be doing, uh, like editing it and it won't be an impression. It'll just be a sketch, but I'm like, Oh, that was a little bit of Collinsworth. Like, well, I did one the other day to where I was kind of talking about, I, I was just, I was like making fun of new homeowners and all the conversations that they have about, you know, their home that they just bought. And one of the things I was doing is kind of like reeling off some things they liked about the house. And I was like, Oh God, that was Collinsworth. Like I, maybe it wasn't like in his same uh, style and like, you know, with, with a gravelly voice, but I was kind of reeling things off, you know, one by one, uh, you know, like the house and you, know, you seem to like the basement and, uh, you know, and I was like, Oh God, that was a little bit of Collinsworth there. So that does happen from time to time. And, uh, I don't know. It, it is funny, but no, I don't, I don't try to inject myself into conversation like that at all. Cause I, I think people would probably just want to punch me after a while. <laughs> I feel like we, we got to get to uh, your initial kind of background story because maybe a lot of people uh, who see your videos don't necessarily kind of know. And you know, it does, this type of thing doesn't just kind of happen out of, out of thin air. And I, you know, you, where you get to the point where you're speaking at a senior bowl event, alongside Saban. I mean, that, that's an unbelievable thing to think about considering like two and a half years ago, you're a guy who is, you know, a producer on a radio show in Indy. And I remember seeing your first Saban video right around Thanksgiving. I think it would have been 2019, I believe. And yep. super viral. I, I don't think we had ever heard anyone imitate Saban like that or even really attempt to and put their name behind it, which was kind of the incredible thing just in itself. And on a personal note, I looked at your bio after that. And I saw that you produced the radio show hosted by Kevin Bowen, who um, my fellow beat reporter covering IU basketball and student newspaper in Indiana. And so I was texting Bowen about it. And he's like, this, this kid is unbelievably talented. I mean, just wait his future. He's got so many big things ahead of him. And you, you keep cranking out these viral videos. You get the job at Barstool. You did that for a couple of years. And, you know, here you are now. So tell our listeners kind of, you know, how you became a household name on the internet. And I'll, I'll say that you don't have to say that because I know I left out a few places in there with, you know, the McAfee stuff as well. Yeah, dude, that's, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, KB, um, Kevin Bowen's my guy. He's, he, he's one of the people that believed in me before anybody believed in me and then gave me a shot to work with him, you know, on a daily basis. And, and he's, and he's still really kicking ass, you know, in Indy and, and covering the Colts. He's like, you know, if you want the the nitty gritty, the detail of, about the Colts, you go to KB. So shout out to him. But um, yeah, I was just, I, I was, I, I'd been, you know, kind of cranking these type of things out for a while, right after college. And then the few years that I was working at that radio station in Indy and I was doing that as my day job. But then on the side, I was doing the different, you know, videos with, with Ben Polizzi Johnson, uh, like you mentioned earlier. <laughs> uh, so we've been doing that for over five years now together. Um, so I was doing that and then I started, you know, sprinkling in a little impressions because I mean, as you know, working in sports media, the media landscape, you know, how many people would love to have our jobs of, you know, you get to talk about college football, you get to talk about sports and cover that. And, and, and I get to, 
you know, do a bunch of different videos and, and just, you know, be, be kind of a clown on the internet. Um, so I was just like, how do I make myself stand out from the other million plus, you know, guys and girls who are leaving college at the same time as me, who all had great internships, who all had, uh, you know, college degree, everything like that. I was like, how, how do I at least, you know, kind of differentiate myself, find a niche in this, in this mass crowd. Um, and so the impressions were just kind of like, oh, maybe that'll, you know, maybe that's just a, a feather in the cap that'll, that'll work out for me. Uh, and so I started doing those and they started, you know, taking two. And then from there doing the impressions, um, you know, I, I, I was like, okay, now, now I've got this audience. I'm going to keep this audience. So I would do the impressions. I would experiment with different impressions. Uh, you know, I tried to do as many, you know, original sketches or, 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 or uh, original characters as I do impressions just because, you know, I, 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 I got that niche, right. I got that hook that maybe stand out with the impressions. And now it's like, okay, now how do I keep it? How do I keep it growing? You know, I don't just want to be the saving guy. I don't want to just be the Andrew Luck guy, you know? So, um, the, the impressions are just a feather in the cap. And, uh, yeah. So I started doing those publicly at least, I've been doing them really my whole life, uh, just for my friends and family and everything like that. Uh, but then, um, yeah, 2019 is when I started, you know, putting them out on the internet, putting myself out there and it finally started to take two, man. And, and so, yeah, I've been, I've been really lucky, really, really blessed and fortunate over the last almost three years to be able to do what I've, what I've been doing. The, uh, you know, the Andrew Luck thing was, was huge for you early on. And then it's like, he retires and what, what do you do? And you, you know, you, you try and figure out like these new things, but you know, it almost kind of coincided with 2019 LSU. And then this coach O impression that you do, it just kind of takes off in the, the rise of LSU that season. Like how much did that help your career and your notoriety kind of take a, take a new step? Oh, huge, man. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, me and me and coach O, well, in my mind, you know, I, I don't think maybe I'm not, but just in my mind for, for my career, you know, I will always be linked to him. You know, I'll always have that special link to him, the special link to LSU. And that's what I try to explain to people who get on me, you know, on the internet about uh, rooting for LSU and being Brandon Walker. Now. Uh, well, yeah, just it, people who, you know, who get all up in arms about bandwagon fans or whatever. Um, and and it's they, it's tough for them to understand. They won't understand because, yeah, my life changed forever as LSU was making history and as Coach O's life and Joe Burrow's life changed forever as well. Um, so I'll always have that connection to them. And then the people in Baton Rouge and the people of Louisiana have been just nothing but fantastic to me and welcome me in. And, and now I have a lot of relationships within the program at LSU, people who cover LSU uh, with Coach O himself, even though he's not there anymore. Um, so yeah, that, that is the reason for my fandom is because I have actual connections there and, and, and fell in love with the place as my rise was happening and their rise was happening. We were hand in hand going through it together. Um, so it was huge, dude. I mean, absolutely. Coach O became a, a celebrity, a star, um, really part of the greater culture, I think just beyond college football that year. Uh, because, you know, even, you know, even my grandma or, or, or my mom or my sister or whoever, or, you know, my uncle who doesn't follow sports, like they know about Coach O because he's Coach O and, and, and the way he talks and the way he sounds and his person like, so what I'm saying is that he, he became bigger than football. He became 
you know, and we saw it kind of hurt him, I guess, in the end, but like he, he became a celebrity. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm forever tied to, to them. I'm forever tied and indebted to coach O and I've been lucky enough to, to now be able to meet him a few times and kind of form my own relationship with him. And I mean, he's, he's great. He's just, he's everything that you see on TV that you hear in interviews, you know, and you, you go up to him, he's like, hey, don't like, man, let's go pick some, man, I don't know, I love it. I love it, don't go work, man, I don't love it, come on. And you're like, I don't really know what you said. I heard a picture in there. Uh, let's do it. So uh, he, he's phenomenal, man. I love Coach Joe. Do you, uh, does, do you do the voice in front of him? Like, does he, does he kind of react well to it? <laughs> well, so the first time that I got to go down, so I was supposed to, of course, we were all supposed to do a lot of things in 2020. One of the things I was supposed to do was uh, go to LSU and uh, meet Coach O in 2020 and do all that. And the pandemic happened, so I had to push it back years. So we got down there in September 2021, um, and I'm touring the facility with my wife and, and the weight room, and you know everybody's great. And then uh, Jr. Belton, one of their um, staff members and one of their main recruiting guys, <clears throat> he was taking us to the the weight room and he's just like, you want to see something cool? And I was like, yeah. And then like, I turned, turned the corner, excuse me. And coach, O's just sitting on a bench, like sitting at the bench press, you know, he just pumped out, you know, 10 or 12 reps or whatever. And, and he's sitting on the bench press and I turn and I'm like, Oh boy. And he's just like, I don't come over. I'm out, coach. And I'm like, Hey coach, what's up? And so I go over and, uh, you know, we talked for five minutes or so and he, my wife just fell in love because he kept calling her like little lady and princess and all this stuff. And, uh, and so, yeah, then we, we, we took a picture and I was like, Hey, I, I didn't know how he'd react at first, but I was like, I got to just do it. I was like, coach, can we rip a go tigers here while, while we're, you know, and he was like, Oh, make them all. and so we, we on three did a go tigers together and I did it in his voice and he chuckled and it was great, man. It was, it was everything I hoped it would be. Okay. The saving deal. You got your face to face with him in mobile senior bowl. Had he seen the videos? Like, what did he think of them? Did you make a D's nuts joke? Like what, what was the whole interaction? <laughs> well, so uh, his daughter, Kristen has been really, really great to me. And we've been able to form a, a friendship over, over the years now. And she saw that I posted the promo for that, that uh, event at the senior bowl. And they had me and Herbie and Harson and Saban all on it. And so she messaged me. She was like, Oh my God, are you finally going to get to meet? And I was like, I, you know, I hope I, you know, I would think. And she was like, Oh, that's so great. Like I show uh, him and my mom, your videos all the time. Like he thinks they're funny, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh God. I was like, well, that's good. At least that you said that. I was like, well, just know, you know, reassure him if need be that it's not in mean spirits or out of bad nature. Like I, it's all respect and out of fun. And she's like, Oh no, totally. Like they get it. Like they think it's funny. I'm like, wow. Okay. That's great. So I'm having really high hopes going into this event. I'm thinking this will be fine. Maybe I'll even go out on stage with him. Like we'll have a great time. So then come to find out that somehow through his scheduling, like he had been double booked for that night. So he was already coming from an event to the senior bowl event and he was pissed. Oh right? boy. He, he was not happy. Okay. So then on top of that, James Franklin, 
Sark and Herbie are out. So I open the show. I do my thing. I do my thing with Dan Campbell and Robert Sala from the Jets and the Lions. And then Herbie comes out with James Franklin and Brian Harston. Not Brian Harston, excuse me, Sark. And we both know that James Franklin can talk. Oh, right? yeah. James Franklin is a talker. He can talk. Great guy. Was great to me when I met him. But he can talk. So they were scheduled to come off stage, I think, at 645. It's now 705. They're still on stage. Oh, and Saban's backstage, and he's pissed. And he's just pacing. I mean, like, what you see on the sideline, head down. He's got his, his crimson blazer on, but just head down, pacing back and forth. And I'm 10 feet away from him, but I'm like – this is a ticking time bomb. This is a no go. So finally, they get off stage. Saban and Harson come out. I haven't gotten to say anything to him yet. They do their shtick. They do their thing with Herbie. And I'm like, I'm waiting off to the side of the stage. I'm like, I'm doing it. I don't know how it's going to go, but like, I'm at least going to go introduce myself. Hopefully, you know, rings a bell. He'll see my face. He'll hear my name. It'll click. Fingers crossed. So they wrap up. They come off stage. I'm standing right there. Coach Saban walks off. He's got his head down, of course, because, you know, I mean, he's, he's, this is God territory for him. Alabama, right? Like we're in Mobile, Alabama. I mean, people are just trying to come at him in all sorts of ways. But I'm backstage, I'm right there. He comes up. <clears throat> I'm like, I just, you know, Coach Saban, hey, Joey Molinero, great to meet you. Doesn't even look at me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Doesn't even look at me, reaches out, shakes my hand, he just just goes, yeah, well, I, and turns and walks away. And I was like, oh, dang, like, that was not great, not how I wanted it to go, but you know what? At the same time, I wouldn't have expected anything else from him. Uh, so in a way, it was like, perfectly Saban it was like the perfect meeting because all the bits and the character like the 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 mannerisms and the bits and the sketches that I do involving Saban I always say that it's like I always have to put myself in the mindset of he just got told that he has to pay like $200 on a very minuscule thing on his car and it's going to take like an extra 45 minutes and so you're just you're just grumpy you're just pissed and uh, that's exactly what he was so in a way, it was perfect, but at the same time, I did want to at least get a picture, maybe a, you know, a snide comment from him about my impression. I don't know, but uh, didn't happen. Hopefully, it'll happen someday. You got an eye, though, which I that's that's more than I've ever got. I mean, I, I, I take that back. I might have gotten an eye at one time for asking just a terrible question. It was like a comparison question or something like that. Saban doesn't do comparisons, but you got an eye, which is in my book about as peak Saban as you can ask for. Yeah. It was, you know, the, the, eye, the eye was nice. The, his hand was very soft. It was like a very warm, it was like shaking your grandpa's hand, you know, it was like, it felt warm and welcoming and soft. So that was nice. Um, but yeah, maybe I should, I don't know. Maybe I should go to, uh, you know, a press conference down in Bama this year and just get a list from all you beat reporters of like the, the questions that he hates the most. Oh yeah. And then I just, 
I'll like stand up when it's my turn and I'll ask the question he hates the most as him, you know? So I'll give him a comparison question as him. And I think we could be in for some fireworks there. That could be pretty explosive. <laughs> you, you get him on the right day for that. And I, the, the ability to not hit the Coke bottle off the podium is underrated. I don't know how he does that when he gets the hands going like this and then he gets this to this place. That's when you know you've got him. I think you could get you could definitely get him there. That yeah, and that's you know, people ask me a lot about impressions and, and, and the Saban impression, of course. And I'm like the thing about Saban is is it's so much more than just the voice. It's it's the body and it's the the head bob and it's the non-eye contact, you know, like, and then when I'm doing it, I, I start, when I'm explaining it, I start doing it and I start bobbing my shoulders and I start using my hands and I, and then they're like, Oh wow. Then they, you know, they're like, I, I, okay, yes, you're doing saving without doing saving. And so, um, and yeah, it's so fun. I, I try to do, you know, two or three months between a, a saving bit, you know, give it, put it, put it in the closet for a little bit and then bring it out. Um, when need be, you know, don't want to beat people over the head with it, but uh, it's always fun to do, man. Yeah, it's like Coward and, and and Collinsworth. That's the that's the everyday. That's the bread and butter. Like you, you know, that, that's your Friday night restaurant that you can go to. This is a cowardism. Now that I think of this, that's your Friday night restaurant that you go to, and then you're saving as like your anniversary. Like that's that's the big time that you, you save up for that. Like. But- that's if I ever got to like talk with Cowherd or like go on his show, I'm, I'm pretty sure you just predicted exactly <laughs> the the analogy that he would make. I mean, a hundred percent, hundred percent, man. Has he not had you on yet? Because you're at the point now where you're so good at doing Cowherd that you know his segments before you even come up with them, and then they hit the internet, and then he basically just does them. So we don't even know if he's copying you or if you're just so in his brain that he can't help himself. Well, that's, yeah, I tried to, so again, the, the different aspects of different impressions, you know, with Cowherd, it's so much of it is the writing and the analogy and, and the take, you know? And so I always, <laughs> sometimes after like a big event, I will literally, you know, it'll be my goal to have it shot, have it edited and have it out at like, so he goes live at noon Eastern time. I try to have it out at like 1130 Eastern time because I try to. <laughs> I try to beat them to the tape to see how close I can get to a post Super Bowl take or to a post like Aaron Rodgers loss or whatever, just because it's so funny. You're right to see what he comes up with and how he spins it back into his weird way and weird world uh, to make sense somehow. So that's the part. That's the fun part is trying to see how far out away from the dock that we can get to still be able to come back. And, and, and have it make sense, you know? So it's his, his is probably my favorite to do, honestly, because not only is it the mic and the looks and the laugh and the, you know, the, the, the cadence, but it's just coming up with how wild can we get here? You know, I think he doesn't want to have you on because he's afraid that you're going to do his job better than he does. And you're going to take his job. And then what's, what's he going to do? Like he has such a specific, and I didn't really realize this until I actually had to start talking for this job, but he has such a distinct delivery and it's so hard to replicate. And you realize how good he is at it. And all the emphasis of his words are just as good as can be. And then you hear you do it. And then you realize, Oh my God, you actually have the exact delivery. You're doing it in a different sort of way as like, as like a shtick, but 
it's it's so hard to grasp some of those concepts. He's he's just intimidated at this point. It's yeah. <laughs> I would say like I was talking with Kyle Brandt because um, he was asking me that. He was like, "Dude, what? How has that not happened yet?" I was like, "All I want is even more so than like a sit down with Saban probably is to be on with Cowherd and just do an analogy off. Yes, and have like joy." Taylor, you know, or whoever say like, okay, um, Joey, you're up. And, uh, you know, how do you, you know, compare, not compare, but your, 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 your topic, your subject point is, um, Aaron Rodgers, and the random thing you have to tie it to is the cheesecake factory. And like, somehow you have to weave just, just off the top when an analogy off. And I really think that I would be able to beat him. I really think I would be able to beat him at his own game. So we'll see. I mean, Cheesecake Factory, they stuff the menu. Aaron Rodgers just stuffs the stat sheet. It's that's just sitting right there. It's got it's the biggest like chain menu you can find. Rodgers is going to have all the statistical things in his pocket, but you know, it's the Cheesecake Factory and the upside's not there. Okay. So I just did it right there with thinking yep. of that. You would be more than fine. We could go the other way. You could talk, you know, you could say like the menu is kind of convoluted. It's sending a lot of mixed messages. <laughs> There's a lot to take in on that menu. Aaron Rodgers, he's a little convoluted. He has a lot going on. He mixes words. It's a lot to take in. Very confusing. You know, you could, you could go either way, you know? So there you go. But yeah, I, uh, your, your cowherd, uh, your cowherd brain is, is pretty on point. I know I've, I've gotten, I, I started listening to him a lot more in like 2015 and I've realized that he, he is so, he is so one of a kind in his space. I mean, he's, he's getting to that, that place with me where now I, I always find myself kind of trying to think of segments in the same way that he does to a certain extent where you kind of have to get a little bit outside of your specific, like locked in, like within that sport. Sometimes you do have to make these broader comparisons about, you know, random analogies in life. And he is, I mean, he's as good as there is. Um, I, I identify with you as someone who grew up in the Midwest and then got exposed to, to SEC football. Um, and, and it really kind of sank in once, once that happened, you know, mid twenties with, with your experiences that you've gotten at LSU, you know, seeing the fan reaction from, from SEC base, you know, all the fan bases and whatnot, are you a, a believer now in it just means more or is, are you still like, Hey, SEC is kind of overrated. Uh, definitely. No, definitely not overrated. I wouldn't say I'm totally bought into the, it just means more. I would say that, for me, it'd be more like it's just different. Instead of it means more, it's just it's just different. You know, it's a it's a different experience. The culture is so ingrained in football, and football is so ingrained in the culture. You know, especially at a place like LSU, that um, it's really yeah. I mean, like you go to an IU or Purdue game, or even a Notre Dame game. You know, Notre Dame is a national huge brand, and you know, always ranked up there, right? But but still it's not as much i don't think on the level in terms of like the culture mix that you see at Ole miss that you see at lsu that you see um at alabama or auburn or, or, or georgia you know um so for me i don't think i would get on with the it means more i just say that it's just different you know that that's my sec motto is it, it's just different I was wondering uh, what's next for you career-wise. I know you're no longer with Barstool. Um, contract was up, and I, I don't know like the, the details 
around any of that. So I'm not asking you to, to get into that. I'll just assume that you didn't want to work with Brandon Walker anymore because he's kind of the worst, but that's just me saying that, not you saying that. Um, that's a different story for a different time. What's next for you? Where ultimately do you want to, to see your, to see your career moving towards in the next like 10 years? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, Barstool was, was the right fit at the right time. Um, you know, it was a, it was a great two years and I got, a, I learned a lot. I, I gained a lot of experience, you know, Dave and Erica gave me a chance and, and I always appreciate that. And I still love, you know, uh, big cat and PFT and, and, you know, Casey Smith, a lot of people there, you know, that, that are very talented. And, um, so yeah, it was just time, you know, I was ready to move on. You know, I started working for them the day the world shut down. That's like, right. The pandemic happened. Um, and so it was a weird two years just in terms of, you know, I think maybe in a different life at a different time, you know, I, I would have moved to New York and I would have been there more and it, who knows what would have happened, but Hey, you know, that that's the, the hand that I was dealt and that's how it worked out. And so I'm, you know, excited about what's next um, right now in the immediate future, um, just kind of enjoying playing the field and talking with different people, talking with different outlets, um, seeing what fits best because, you know, when, when my career started taking off and I started getting more of a following at the beginning of 2020 um, you know, Barstool snatched me up, really quick. And, 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 you know, there was no bureaucracy. There was, it was just, you know, Hey, we'd love to have you here. Here's the offer. You're, you're welcome to join. And that was really attractive to me. And I wanted to get out of my old job and I wanted to take the next step. And, and so I think this time around, I'm really fielding, you know, the offers, fielding the conversations, waiting it out a little bit more to see exactly what's best for me. Um, and really, at the end of the day, if I'm able to, you know, provide for my family and, 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 you know, make people laugh and, and have fun and do sketches and do comedy, then that's what I'll be happy with, you know, whether that's for a network or for whatever outlet it is. Um, you know, I, I really am trying to get into like the acting space and, and, and film and television and things like that. Um, yeah. So I think you know, I'm 28, 10 years, slowly 38. Uh, you know, ideally I, I, uh, been on a few TV shows or been in a movie or something like that. And, and just, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, hopefully still making people laugh. So that's, uh, I'd say, yeah, that, that that's the approach here, uh, over the, for the, for the short, for, for the short term and for the long term. It's a, it's a unique space because I'm sure, you know, you're trying to figure out also the best way to, to, to modernize, uh, to monetize your talents. And I think, you know, you see somebody that we, we in the public see somebody like Frank Caliendo and we see his skill set. And I know you're tight with Frank, um, but you, you kind of see the way that he's been able to take off and he's dabbled a little bit with sketch comedy. He's, you know, he had the sitcom thing that he did very briefly and he still is doing like, you know, stand-up shows and all these different things. But, you know, for you, you have grown and, and risen in this different era and, you know, it'd be so weird for you to do like, you know, even if you just did these videos where, you know, you got Saban Collinsworth, Coward, Gus Johnson sitting out at the Christmas table or something like that. And then saying at the end of the video, and this was made possible to you by Cuts Clothing or, or something like that, like that would take away from the video. So it's it's like, it's it's hard to monetize it in that sort of way. So how, how have you how have you tried to approach that element of it with trying to, you know, maintain your integrity with also trying to look out for number one here? Yeah, no, man, it is. It's a, you know, I think that contributed, you know, to my time at Barstool is just, 
um, you know, it, it is hard to monetize sketch comedy, you know, and, and, and uh, at least in the digital space. And so, um, you know, I think it's just a fine line of, I've also been trying to, you know, come up with these, you know, series ideas or uh, interview series ideas that um, would be more fit for something like that. That could be a longer form. It could be both, you know, audio version and then a YouTube version. And that would be more fit to, like you said, a, a cuts clothing or, or whoever it is. Yeah. Um, but then also having to, to do that, but then being able to still grow my following, please my, my following my fan base with those sketches, with those impressions um, that, that aren't an ad thrown in their face. Right. Um, so that, that's what I've been trying to do. And, and it, again, it's a fine line. I've said a lot, but like I, I do try to balance um, being Joey Molinero and being that a commodity to where people want to be invested in, in, in him uh, when he's not doing uh, now I'm talking in third person, which is weird you know, when I'm not doing, uh, you know, Collinsworth or Saban or whoever. Uh, but then also they're like, Oh man, you know, if it brings that out, that's great on top of it too. So I think that's where, you know, when you look at uh, a lot of the sketches that I do and, and what you see when you follow me is uh, you know, I'm just trying to build that brand of me. Um, so then I can bring along these characters with me, but then people are also still very excited to, and willing to pay money to watch Joey Molinero, to go see Joey Molinero. Um, and that's where, you know, I've been, I've been auditioning and I've been, you know, trying to, to, um, you know, get land spots or gigs, uh, in the TV and the film space, because then it's like, okay, that's just another legitimization for me to where it's like, okay, he was Saban guy or luck guy. Then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, he has more. He's still the impression guy. No, oh, now it's Joey Molinero. Oh wow. Now he's in this. Uh, so that's just kind of the balance that I'm trying to have right now. I got five rapid fire questions for you um, to get you out of here on just first thing that comes to mind. Um, all right. First one. I love Indy. You love Indy. Kilroy's breadsticks should have as much buzz as St. Elmo. True or false? False. False. Um, very good. Very good. Uh, but I mean, you're getting an experience at St. Elmo's, man. You know, you, I mean, it's an experience. It's a, it's the, and, 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 and the steak and the meal, they're, they're definitely no slouch. You know, it's not just all hype with St. Elmo's. So Kilroy's, I get very good, especially at like 1 30 or 2 a.m. when you really need some, some sloppiness in there. But uh, still, give me St. Elmo's. All right, fair. You're not you guy, though. So that has a more near and dear, you know, place to your, Dude, I used to get that at Tuesday at two dollar Tuesday at like ten thirty in the morning. I mean, I, I kid you not; those things they're great. Yeah, absolutely. But any time of day, any time of day. Um, two. Have you attempted Brian Kelly's fake Southern accent yet? No. Yes to no. Um, I, I I did in a very character caricature um, over the top bit uh with him and Saban that did really really well actually right after he did his family you know at uh the basketball game um but I have not like actually tried to legitimately sound like him I just go over the top and make him like you know Colonel Sanders or like what Andy Bernard sounds like in the office when he's doing his southern draw it's like you got my lashes in your mouth you know exactly exactly yes uh have you accepted the fact that Purdue basketball can't have nice things? Yes. Um, currently, as I said, yes. Uh, but 
hoping, praying that this month, maybe at least get back to the elite eight, hopefully get over the hump and get a final four. I don't know. I mean, you're catching me at a bad time, man. Last night was a bad night. You're a, uh, you're a diehard Steelers fan. Who do you want to replace big Ben? And uh, why is it Matt Corral or Malik Willis? <laughs> I would love Malik Willis back there. Um, what I would really love is a, a Jimmy Garoppolo trade and then a Malik Willis draft pick. Um, mm. Because I, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo, you get Jimmy Garoppolo uh, for two years, gives Malik Willis no rush time to sit there, figure it out. Just like we saw with Patrick Mahomes, like we saw with Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, uh, that, that they, they need a little bit of time or whatever, and it helped them, and they come out on the scene, and they, they use their tools, and they're great. Uh, but I think Jimmy Garoppolo is, he, you know, he's just – people want to make fun of him online, but he's done a lot of really successful things. He just knows how to somehow lead the charge to get it done, and I think with the pieces that the Steelers have, he'd be more than, you know, good to have him in the fight for the division, at least a wild card, and not have us totally fall off the map. Uh, while we're looking for the next guy. So love Malik Willis, want him to be the quarterback of the future, uh, but give me Garoppolo for a year or two to uh, bridge the gap. Last one for you, and we'll just round out your teams. Um, our Chicago Cubs, they will win another title in the year what? Oh, man. Well, don't even know if they're going to play this year. True. Uh, um, what are the 2020? Let's go. Let's go another round, even year. Let's go twenty twenty eight. Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay, I don't have to be a hope merchant for myself each and every off season with that. Like you can kind of sell yourself on. All right, it's it's still part of the rise if it's twenty twenty eight. Twenty thirty is like, oh yeah, eventually, and it'll happen at some point. But twenty twenty eight is there's a plan in place, and here are the guys who are the guys who are going to do it are still within the organization. So that's good. Correct. Yeah. Uh, 2028, we'll be watching uh, Brendan Davis mash balls uh, in the World Series. And um, who knows, maybe Carlos Correa will be at the end of his uh, massive contract leading us to the promised land again. And uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go 2028. So again, plan is in place. We're heading there. Just not quite there yet. Love it. Joey, this has been great, man. Uh, Really, really appreciate the time. Best luck with everything that you got going on. Thanks, Connor. Appreciate you, man. We'll be talking soon. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out, we're talking college drinking versus adult drinking today. And I say college just as a reference point for age because I realize not everyone went to college or not everyone went away to college and had the same exact experience as everyone else. I guess we can include high school in this discussion as well. Well, not to dig too deep into this, but we're in more of a high school partier than a college partier. <laughs> I immediately knew where that question was gonna go. That was really sad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I obviously we talked about it went to full sale. I, I had fun in college, but I was really locked into my career path. So I was definitely the the college like how, or the high school house party guy. Yeah, and I always wondered, who the hell is doing that? Who in the world is throwing a house party in high school? I've said this on on the podcast many many times, but I just never understood who would actually get away with that. And how that wouldn't just blow up in their face. Even then, when I was pretty, you know, one track mind, I was still at least of the impression that 
there was only bad that can come of that than good. Never had any desire to get into that whatsoever. I kept it pretty straight lace. We had very different high school experiences. Yeah, I mean, I, my parents were very big, like, uh, benchmark people. Like, they were like, if your grades is, are this, if your college situation is this, if you're this, you can pretty much just, you're good. And so, and I was also was working in high school. Uh, so I was a very, like, either I'm working or I am partying in high school, which is what a lot of people do in college. I really got that out of my system fast. That's how I was able to progress so quickly in college because I was like, I don't, I'm not having fun at these parties anymore. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we had... I don't even know if I should tell the story, but our grad party was like Project X. It was it was ridiculous. We had uh, it was a fun time, but yeah, that was that was literally like the the senior night for me, and I was just done after that pretty much in terms of like doing risky stuff, you know. Yeah, and I think everybody hits that point, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe like if if it's you, it comes in high school. For some, it comes in college. Maybe others, it comes early twenties. But the the main thing I wanted to dig into today is how noticeable that difference is between college drinking and adult drinking. Talked about that when my brother and sister-in-law were in town this past weekend, and I had just a reminder or two of that. So I thought it'd be fitting to kind of talk about this today. Thursday night, they get here, and I had a beer and two old fashions at the house. Like that's mm -hmm. it. In college, you'd be making old fashions at the house. Ooh, look at oh yeah, Mr. Fancy will be. Dude, we got we got the works. We don't mess around when it comes to that. Yeah, of mm -hmm. course we're doing we're doing it right. The best maraschino cherries that the money can buy. We 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 make sure we got that. We got the bar cart and everything, the whole deal. Oh yeah, there's only one way to do it, right? Um, but if you if I had just looked back at that and had that type of night in college, I would have basically told myself I had a pretty quiet night in, right? Like mm -hmm. that's that's what I would do in college if I was staying in and watching a new episode of The Office or playing Madden or something. Okay, like mm -hmm. that's that's pretty standard. But as an adult, that's above average for me, right? And I woke up the next day not feeling noticeably hungover, but I, I was not in peak form. We went to um, Arnold Palmer Invitational over here in Orlando. And for the first hour or so, I thought about how pathetic it was that I just couldn't feel better after, I mean, I got six hours of sleep, so that probably wasn't really that helpful either. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'm thinking about this, I'm like in college, we would go out Thursday night. We would pregame, of course. By the way, I can count the number of times on one hand in which I have pregamed since college, which <laughs> part of that is because of money and you pregame in college because you don't want to have to spend a ton of money at the bars or wherever you're going. And yep. the other part of that is because why would I ever need to get to that level of drunk? I just wouldn't. Just pretty unnecessary. Right. But in college, after a night like that, I would wake up on Friday morning you know, around 10 or so, shake the cobwebs out, maybe grab a bite or something like that. And then at least by mid-morning, I would usually be playing basketball or racquetball with my fraternity brothers. That mm. was, that became a bit of a habit my uh, like sophomore or junior years. And I'd sweat it out and then say, what are, what are the plans for tonight? What are we doing tonight? Right. Eventually, I got to a place where I really couldn't do that anymore. That did not make any sense. I had a pretty significant mental and physical transformation in, um, in the summer before my senior year of college. And I've talked about that on the show a decent amount. But one of those things was I lost 30 pounds. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily cut out alcohol, but I started running almost every day. I mm -hmm. quit drinking pop slash soda, whatever you want to call it. I didn't really go out to eat and I basically cut out desserts. As that related to drinking, what I wanted to get after it post weight loss and I'm down to, 
I, I think the lowest I got was maybe like 157 pounds. Your boy was, was pretty thin back then. Wait, were and you a chunk before this? Was there a chunk version of Connor? Yes, you, you can find this. all the pictures. Buddy, they're there. I got mm -hmm. up to, I think, 190, 192, which that might not sound a lot, like a lot, but when you're 5'8", it is. And it showed. <laughs> I wasn't, but yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't particularly healthy. I just wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I, I you know, kind of do that thing where you get into college and you realize that when you don't have organized sports to kind of keep you right and you develop some bad habits, you know, it happens to everyone. Everybody talks about the freshman 15, whatever. Mine actually hit me a little bit later on when I started to get a little bit more career focused and, and just started adding the elements of kind of drinking and unhealthy eating with it as well. But so like I would have these, these times, I had a couple instances my senior year um, in which I was reminded my tolerance was way down, way down. And when you're, when you're lighter, you just can't drink the same sort of way. Crazy thought, right? Yeah. It took me experiencing that to understand just how my body was impacted. And those two instances in which I got a, a shocking awakening that my day of, of drinking like I did those first three years were over, um, it, it was uh, experiences I'll never forget. And quite frankly, like they're so bad that I don't even wanna tell them on these airwaves, all right? Like just, just trust me when I say that. There are maybe a, a handful of people listening to this right now who know exactly what I'm talking about. One was actually while I was visiting home. And let's just say the margaritas at Grande Jake's were flowing one night and your boy was thirsty, okay? We'll leave it at that. That is the most Midwestern drinking story I've ever heard. Just ten years that. ago, and if, yeah. if my if, like my brother could recite the story, if my dad were still alive today, he would still be able to give me a play-by-play -play of that night. Like it was that memorable. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and another night was when I was in college, and Lauren to this day still has no idea how things got out of hand in a hurry. When looking back, I'm like, well, I just didn't have the tolerance that I thought I did, and I made some yeah. very bad choices. I say all that because those who know me well are well aware that those were my wake-up calls. I got them second semester senior year of college, and I promised myself that I'd never lose control like that ever again, which anyone can say that, and most people do when they're dealing with a nasty hangover. That's the most consensus thought you can possibly have in those moments. But ask my friends, ask my family members, I will never be the drunkest guy in the room. Mm -hmm. That's not gonna be me. In college, you would often associate that with the person who's having the most fun. But as an adult, you have been in situations where you see what that person looks like. And it always looks way worse on the outside than it does to the person who is the drunkest and thinks they're having a great time and thinks they're, they're starting everything. That's just not me. I, in college, wanted to avoid being the sober driver at all costs. That is not how I wanted to spend my Thursday or Friday night. Dealt with that oh, during clutch This is a big divide for us. So y'all didn't have Uber in college, did y'all? Did not have Uber in college. That was did a not game Uber. changer for us, dude. Not having to have a DD was like, okay, oh, yeah. We talk about that all the time, man. All mm -hmm. the time. Because I, I graduated in 2012. So it, I don't think I ever got into my first Uber until like 2014 or something like that. Yep. I mean, but... It just, it just missed me and it kind of sucks because you would have to, you know, depending on where you lived, and we lived close enough to the bars where we could walk and it really wasn't that far. We could pretty much walk anywhere on campus, which at Indiana, that's not a guarantee. And there are a lot of places you could live where you gotta take a cab or take a bus or, you know, whatever it is, or have a sober driver. And so I 
often in college would try and avoid those situations in which I had to be the sober driver, you know, within the fraternity, whatever the case. And now I'll have one to two beers over the course of an evening and I almost always volunteer to drive. Like I bet 80% of the time I, I will be mm-hmm. that guy. No problem whatsoever. Now, if I'm, the, if I'm in the comfort of my own home, you know, or maybe I'm around my family and my good friends, we're away on a trip or I'm back home visiting that, whatever, two beer Connor's gonna loosen up a little bit, right? Like controlled environment, something like that. That's, that's a different story for me. Um, but I would, I would still say that those nights now are what I would have considered a pretty quiet night back in college. Like that's, that's where things have shifted so much. Lauren and her roommates, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, and I'm, Lauren swore, she said, she said in the comment in the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group, uh, please do not share my horror stories, which I will not. <laughs> but I will say that Lauren and her friends had a mantra of five shots in five minutes for the pregame. That's impressive. That'll mess you up real quick. Oh, yes. We both laugh at that now because if either of us did that, it would ruin our night and probably our next day. For, like, for what? What in the world would be for the what? point of that? Yeah. yeah. I just don't need to get to that level. Um, the hey, biggest Tom, difference... Since you started talking about pre-gaming, I've had this question and I don't want to lose it. Oh, gosh. Go if ahead. If you got hammered and I was sober and we went bowling, could you still beat me? Yes. Undoubtedly, yes. Und- hammered. Um, <laughs> we, we might need to do this because I think it would be like, I'm bad at bowling, dude, but I oh, feel like yeah. if we... <laughs> No, there's, no, there's no doubt whatsoever. There's no doubt. That would actually be a hilarious. We obviously you're like a writer, so we couldn't like live stream it or anything. But like that would be a hilarious, like like just totally sober will, like just focused in, and you just say, "Oh, what's up, boys?" Anyway. Well, okay. So uh, when I was at my best friend Bronson, his bachelor party downtown Milwaukee a few years ago, and there was a group of I think like twelve of us or something like that, and you know, I had a pretty good time. Controlled environments, and you know, had. Definitely was was by no means sober or anything like that. Now everybody else was also on that level, but I bowled right. a one. I bowled a one fifty that day with 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 relative ease. And a one fifty is like, if I wasn't getting one fifty in league play when we used to do that a couple years ago, I was pretty frustrated with myself. Right. So I, I'm pretty confident. Maybe your best chance would be trying to get me now when I bowled once essentially in the last two years. You just haven't quite picked it back up yet. It just hasn't been one of those things. But um, yeah, I can beat you. I can beat you. All right, line it up. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What were you about to say? I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, you're good. You're good. The biggest difference between college drinking and adult drinking, and for those of you in college, you're going to listen to this and you're going to think I'm crazy, but I promise you it's true. The biggest difference between college drinking and adult drinking is simple. In college, I drank to get myself going. As an adult, I drink to relax. That's That's a really good point. Yep. Simple. Well, I knew you in your early 20s. You did not come off as a big drinking guy then, and I don't think you come off as a big drinking guy now. Um, how has that, that, that shift been for you? Because like you said, you made it earlier than most do. Yeah, so I think, I remember um, <clears throat> one of the guys at my old gym I used to go to was like swole, right? He was like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, and I, I was, when I was young, I, that was why I was there, I was in high school. and. I was like, what's it like being that swole? And he's like, well, it's actually kind of problematic because if a fight breaks out, you're always the person who somebody wants to punch because you're huge. And being, oh, you know, a, being like a 260, you know, 6'1", 6'2", Cajun 
whenever I'm out with people, they're always just like, let me see if I can outdrink this guy. <laughs> and so I think that I've always had, you were talking tolerance, I've always had like a, a really, just for that reason, I'm huge in Cajun. There's, not, there's nothing, there's no secret to it. But, and, and so point being, I've never really been like the belligerent drunk guy because I, I, it's, it's kind of like, when we'll go out now, like one thing I was worried about for the pandemic is we just didn't really go out. You know what I'm saying? We had our first like actual like boys weekend, like I want to say like first the Super Bowl, so a couple of weeks ago, and I, I was like, okay, like we're holding up. I same thing, didn't wasn't the drunkest guy in the room, like held it up. But yeah, I think that that's you know it's a big thing about knowing your limits, man. I think you're absolutely right about you know in college or before the responsibility era in all of our lives, whenever that may be. You really you drink to like get going and stuff, and and now it's like yeah, dude. Like after we we were joking after the Super Bowl, I was, I had like a two day hangover and we didn't even really drink. It was just the fact that we were day drinking. You know, like we were never mm. hammered. We were never really like out of it. But it was the fact that we started so early because people were at our house all day. And it's like it's exactly what you said. It's like you look up and you're like, what? And like I dude, I couldn't imagine being at Arnold Palmer hungover because it's the sun is just beating down on you there's no activities so i wouldn't really judge yourself off of that just because that's a you you're missing all of the ingredients to get better really in that environment. True. Um, you really you need like an activity you need to sit down you need some water and you have none of that but yeah so so point being like yeah i, I think that for me it's like it's been a very long time since i've been like i've i really just tried to get there you know what i'm saying it's usually for me now it's like you know, it's more of like a vacation type of situation. It's like, okay, like I know I'm out of office. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm in a place where I can have fun. And yeah. I think that that's, that's a cool thing. It's like, if you, if you're, it, it's also why. It's exactly what you said. It's like, if I'm going out to experience a city and have fun with my boys and kind of like, you know, get, get you know lost in a good way then that's like a good thing but you you start to do the math because in college it was like there was no math it was like we have nothing to do we know where cheap drinks are that's what we're gonna do now it's like well do i really want to do this because now on the other side of that is like hangovers responsibilities like yes. all this stuff and you wake up and and it's like you feel so much dumber now when you have a night like that yes that that's a great point and you say to yourself why did why did i think i could do that why did right. I think that I could get through a night like that and not face the next day? And I, look, people close to me have experienced that. And that moment is, is very frustrating. It's very, very difficult, but it does humble you. And it reminds you that you do have to change your expectations. You just do. That is the way it works. By the way, had myself a spiked Arnold Palmer. I don't know if oh, they man. changed the recipe in the last few years. <laughs> I had one of those 10 years ago and was really disappointed. They have perfected the recipe. I am a, a spiked Arnold Palmer advocate now. Even mm -hmm. in my, my state that I was on Friday where like, like I said, it was like a little baby hangover. It was probably a little bit, you know, maybe sleep deprivation, whatever, but it was a reminder that I'm in my thirties now. I still had that Arnold Palmer. I was like, this is delicious. Oh yeah, you I gotta have movies. an Arnold Palmer at the API. I don't Ooh. know, was that like Parks and Rec or like some Will Ferrell movie where they were just like, shh, shh, and it was Arnold Palmer like making an Arnold Palmer. Yes. <laughs> like, you gotta, yeah, you gotta do that there. Yeah, oh, all the signage all over the place. There, yeah, it, you could get Arnold Palmer pretty much at every every concession stand. Really, really cool event. Um, but yeah, I had a regular and I had a spike and I was like, the spike is just as good as the regular. That's pretty mm -hmm. impressive. That never happens oh. like that. Let me say this real quick. This is not any type of product placement, but I got one of these like last Christmas, the game changer. It's called a Bartesian. It's like a Keurig machine for alcohol. So you literally, it has like four little tanks in it for like different kinds of alcohol. Hey you now. get like little Keurig pods. You put them in there and you're like, okay, I'll have a Manhattan old fashioned, whatever, whatever drink you can come up with. They have that. You press a button and it just mixes it and like spits it out. It's like you're at a bar and it's super cheap. 
it's like it's a game changer for like adult drinking where you're trying to have like a good night. Like we had a, the 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 Fury Wilder fight a while back. Oh yeah. We had people over and it was like, oh no, you can like make these drinks like you know strong or whatever and have one or two drinks and just be feeling like good and they're like delicious. It, it's the biggest like adult life hack about drinking. Dang, good to know. Didn't know didn't know that existed. Would have been mm-hmm. interesting to have something like that in college. Oh gosh, <laughs> the thing would get that. abused. Yes, <laughs> it would be falling absolutely. apart. I asked the Facebook group, how noticeable is the drop off between college drinking versus adult drinking? When did you realize you couldn't throw them back like you used to? What does getting after it look like now versus then? And any horror stories of your adult self drinking like your college self? We have some good responses here. We're definitely, we're probably not gonna be able to get to all of these today. Um, Yeah, we're, (laughs) uh, Drew Page. I think Drew might have told this story, but we'll, we'll refresh the people about this. Drew says, didn't really start drinking until after college. The worst night I had drinking was the night before my wedding. Oh yeah, we've definitely told the story. Slammed three <laughs> tequila drinks at the same time at the rehearsal dinner and threw up. Kept drinking later that night, playing cards and, and with everyone and threw up all over the place. Gross. Uh, ended up with food poisoning on top of all of that alcohol the next day. Before your wedding, man. <laughs> you gotta really just flip the switch and take the PTO. It's, it's 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 off the calendar. Might as well just get the two for one. Buddy, I was in bed by nine thirty the night before my <laughs> wedding. I said I am not gonna be feeling like I need to be feeling hundred percent with how on you have to be on your wedding day. No, 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 no. That was not happening. Even even twenty uh, what was I at the time? Twenty six year old Connor. And his old college stomping grounds back in Bloomington. Got the entire family out at Nick's playing Sink the Biz. Those who know, know. <laughs> I said, no. We're cutting this off at 9.30. Night before the wedding. Cannot have it. I cannot get sucked into this. And I was grateful I did because I felt great all day on the wedding day. But if you're in that kind of shape, man, yikes. That just <laughs> That's going to be a tough one to live down forever. Forever. But I'm sure Drew, Drew has dealt with many of those many of those flashback stories that have been retold to him that's the worst part too oh is gosh that's the worst knows. experience in the world oh. when you're relying on your dumbass friends to tell you what happened to you and you have to like like do the like let me find the nicest friend i have and get that story because you know you have the one friend that you don't want to ask yes like, you don't oh yeah dude you're hanging from the chandelier it's like that's not even physically possible i paid a little bit of attention yeah. in science class <laughs> i know that can't happen <laughs> yes do not do not drink heavily that night before your wedding you heard it here first Right. Michael Dark says, I'll be 32 on the 18th. Oh, I'll be 32 very soon as well. And I think I can actually get after it better than when I did when I was at Georgia. (laughs) I still drink the same quality of booze, but I have learned to pace myself (laughs) so that I'm not completely worthless the next day. Great point. Pace yourself and try and do that mental math, or at least this is what I do sometimes. You know, there are nights in which have four or five drinks, but if I'm doing it over the course of five hours, then yeah, that's fine. It's when you try and slam five drinks in a two hour stretch that you realize how quickly it catches up to you. And that is when the hangover is always gonna be so much worse. It just always is. Over the course of a long day, fine, totally fine. Like when we go to you know, we go to Country Thunder, when we, the, the country festival that we used to go to every single year, and we would start at like two o'clock we wouldn't be going in there until you know 7 30 or 8 but you know over i'd have four beers over the course of nine hours before i would uh, ultimately i I was the one who would drive but at no point did i ever feel like oh yeah i wouldn't be one to get behind a wheel right now yeah 
timing is is key. Spreading your drinks out a little bit as an adult, it goes a long way. It really, really does, and allows you to be able to kind of enjoy the night a little bit better. Drinking the same quality of booze now as you I did in college. I think he meant quantity. I reread that. I think he meant. I, the sentence makes a lot more sense if you read it as quantity of booze. Okay. I'm, I'm saying if you're yeah, we were drinking Kharkov and Natty Light. <laughs> I was about to say, that's the worst flex ever if you're still drinking the same, like, well stuff. But I think he means he, he's just drinking the same quantity and just pacing it out better, which is smart. Yeah. I hope so. Unless you got some deeper pockets, man. In which case, you probably were a pretty popular guy at Georgia in college, if that's the case. Are um, we back on the schedule? Or not we, but, like, are you back on the schedule for Country Thunder? Is it making a post-pandemic comeback? Uh, you know, it's it's definitely not this year. We're going to We're going to Utah this year. Uh, family vacation, going to Zion National Park. Really looking forward to it. So it's tough. You know, we got a lot of places that we want to see. And it's tough when we have to be the ones who travel back to go to it. And we fly into Chicago and then we drive up to Wisconsin. And it's just, you know, it ends up taking like five, six days. And there's just, there are only so many vacation days and, you know, only so much that we're able to, to kind of do over the course of the year. A little bit easier this year, maybe, without so many weddings. It's kind of the first year in a while where we haven't had just a summer full of weddings that we've had to go to as well. But it'll maybe make a comeback eventually, but this year it's not happening, unfortunately. Let's do this one from Krista Kissinger. Krista says, I'm from South Louisiana and went to LSU. I don't understand the question. <laughs> this is like the second, third podcast in a row where she has verbatim said what I said. Yes. You're a queen. That yes. is hilarious. Krista also says, just kidding. Uh, there was probably a switch at like 28 where the hangover is there the next day. Usually I'm good sticking with wine. The worst hangover you get is a headache and Advil can pretty much fix that. Question about that. Isn't that supposed to be really bad for your liver? Taking Advil pain medication to cure a hangover. Am I making that up? Uh, I'd be taking some ibuprofen, man. I, it is, but I think that I mean I think if you're hungover, you're already in pain. So I yeah. think you just gotta I think you just gotta bite the bullet and take Advil. Oh, big time adult life hack. Brittany put me on this because she was a sorority girl. Pedialyte. Yes, big time. Pedialyte is like, a, like we had that after like a, the festival we went to for my birthday. Oh my goodness, man. You get you some Advil, get you some Pedialyte, you are feeling ready. My buddy, my buddy uh, Chris Tilgis has this, it's like this orange powder. What's it called? Um, oh, I'm blanking on the name. It's not emergency. Not airborne. No, it's not airborne. It's not airborne. <laughs> yeah. It's like this orange powder that you, you just basically dump into a drink before you go out. Oh, yep. And it helps. That, at my bachelor party, which, goodness, was six years ago, the first night, the difference between guys who had that versus guys who didn't was <laughs> you so... You like an A-B testing group. You yeah. were like, all right, group, group A go to the left, group, all right, how are you feeling? <laughs> You're going to send in a survey to this company. Yes. Chris is right, though. Find your, find your hangover cure, whatever, whatever that may be, um, which everybody kind of has different things that work for them. Wheat toast. Big fan of that. That's the most adult thing I could possibly say. We toast what? just for whatever reason. It always works. Always works. Sometimes I'm not feeling eggs, but I'm always feeling like wheat toast kind of gets me right. Wheat toast and, and a lot of water. That so works. like, is this like a, a straight, like it's just like two pieces or you, you slam in toast? Uh, no, we're not going more than two. Nah, okay. we're, maxed out, we're maxed out at two. 
Yeah, no, we're not. Well, I'm not just sitting there with a loaf on my lap. <laughs> a loaf on your lap, just inhaling toast, trying to get back right. No, I'm not at that point in my life. Um, but yeah, find your cure, whatever works. Let's go to this one from Josh. Uh, Josh E. I'm gonna butcher your last name. I'm just leave it at Josh E. Josh says, I didn't start drinking until college, but quickly learned my limitations. So it was pretty disciplined. Only blacked out once and knew I never wanted to do that again. After college, I really slowed down drinking. Three years out of school, we went to celebrate my 25th birthday and my lack of practice was so bad that on the way home at a red light, I got out of the back seat to, you know, in the middle of a very busy intersection in Pittsburgh. My now wife had to pull me back. <laughs> Uh, in by the belt of my pants when the light was turned green. Since then, I've moved from Pennsylvania to Baton Rouge. Shout out Will. Oh, there we go. Uh, okay. LSU slash Louisiana culture has increased my tolerance for sure. But after a day of tailgating and going to the game, it's time to go home and pass out. College <laughs> me would probably be wanting a nightcap. Yes, that speed's different. That's Saturday game speed. And by the, by the end of college, it tails off to where you're probably not pulling that off twice in a day. At least that's how it was with me. When when we tailgated for a noon game, which at Indiana, they were all noon games. Um, <laughs> Kegs and eggs. Kegs and eggs, the way to do it. Shout out Adam Kramer. And you were waking up, that, that, was, that was gonna be it for the day, later on. Now, maybe you would have some friends over and have a few beers. Now, would never even consider that. Let's go get some takeout. Let's have a nice night in. Let's watch some college basketball or something like that. Let's whatever the the ESPN ABC game that's on. Let's let's do that, um, and and let's not pretend like we're we're about to rage after a, a day of tailgating and drinking. It, it does hit a different way when you're when you're an adult. You try and do the day drinking thing. And I I've seen this with people my mom's age who mm -hmm. don't know how to fully pace themselves during the day. It is a yep. different ball game when the sun is up versus when the sun's down. I don't know why, it just is. So we've had two back-to-back -back things about Louisiana, so I'll just go ahead and say this. So <laughs> you have never fought for your life with drinking unless you've drank with old Cajuns. I don't know if I've told you this, my mom just drinks vodka straight. Whenever we went to the Natty, she tried to order a quadruple shot vodka and they wouldn't let her. My mom has the highest alcohol tolerance of any person I've ever met. My mom is now five, six, almost 70 years old, diabetic. I've never seen her drunk in my life. <laughs> I, I literally, like people think that I'm a tank and then they drink with my mom and they're like, I don't want to do that anymore because she doesn't, she just hands it to you. She doesn't tell you what's in it and it's just, Vodka. <laughs> so, and my Uncle Ricky, right, who is a cowboy. My Uncle Ricky, there's a picture of my Uncle Ricky on the front page of the Home of Times during uh, Hurricane um, Rita, roping cows in a cowboy hat up to his, like, chest in water with a horse's head over the water. My Uncle Ricky will have a cigarette in one hand and a beer in the other hand 12 hours a day. Don't ever drink with old Cajuns. It's the moral of this story. You will come in, I remember coming in from college, going to like a crawfish boil or whatever, thinking I was ready to go, doing the day drinking thing with him. And by 3 p.m. I was like, couldn't like, just lethargic. And my Uncle Ricky would just hand me a beer and I'm like, I can't do this anymore, man. They're just built different down there. It's, it's not a myth because the ones that like, it's not, they don't really get drunk. They just live like that. <laughs> That's wild to me. And look, like, I guess that's maybe the, the the outlier of this conversation, but I, I have had some experiences during college where you think maybe adults can can kind of, you know, you, maybe you could drink with the adults and you know, you, you could drink as much as your uncle or something like that. And then you're reminded, 
wait a minute, I, I probably can't. And I, that goes against what we're talking about here because mm -hmm. I don't know how those adults can be at that level, but some of them just are. And some of they're them- They're veterans. That's what it is, veterans. they know their speed, they know their thing. It's like, it's like being a rookie and playing against LeBron. It's like, all right, like you might get your 10 points early, okay, but you're gonna look up at the end of the day and lose. I saw Four Loco truck the other day. Oh gosh, I do. They're selling them again. When we were up in Colorado, there was like a Four Loco stand. I was like, please no. The Soviet Union's back. Four Loco's back. We're not having a great time. I don't know if the FDA has signed off on on Four Loco, the new formula. Mm -hmm. All I know is the old formula was death in a can. I mean, During talk about college drinking. Oh gosh. We need stickers that say we survived the Fort Loco era because that stuff was just, it was like drinking gasoline. It's kind of amazing. I'm actually impressed with myself because that came out, gosh, I think I was a sophomore in college. So that would have been right around the peak time to, to get experimental with some Fort Loco. And if you had two cans of Fort Loco, you were done. That was, that was just it. You were loco. You were, you, you would begin speaking Spanish after about a can and a half of that stuff. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Four loco very quickly curbed my, because I was like, that was a drink that you would wake up the next day and legitimately look in a mirror and be like, that wasn't good. I need to change something. So actually, shout out Four loco. They might have gotten us to where they we needed have. to be a little bit faster. They might have. Did you guys have, have were Long Island's a big deal? For oh, yes. You? Okay. We used to go, we used to go to Kilroy's. And sometimes get, you know, Cherry Coke, Long Island, that, that used to be Lauren's, Lauren's drink, her college drink of choice. Or sometimes, you know, lemonade, Long Island. Sometimes you get a water, Long Island. Water mixed with like four different kinds of alcohol. And they, were, they came in the pitchers, like mm -hmm. two bucks, three bucks, whatever they were. And oh, you have no. two of those. <laughs> you have two of those and you're good. You're just good for the night. A water, Long Island is something that 31 year old Connor, I don't have, I don't have the courage to, to get up to, to a bartender and ask for a water Long Island. That's, that's a recheck of priorities probably for me at that point. That's like whenever they read like a gambling ad on a podcast and they do like the numbers afterward, like for the help thing. It's like if you're over 23 and you, offer, <laughs> you order a water Long Island, it comes with like a drinking help sticker on it. <laughs> I mean, just the, the basic premise of a Long Island, let's just dump all the alcohol we possibly can all the leftovers, we'll just dump it into the same pitcher thing. Here you go. Here's a drink. No, we not had. Uh, did y'all have Bud Light Platinums? No. Mm -mm. So those were sneaky. So like Bud Light Platinums were like Bud Lights, but I want to say they had nine or ten percent alcohol. So they were pretty much just water and alcohol, and you could get a six pack of them for like pretty much the same price as Bud Lights. And so our dumb selves would be like, oh yeah, we'll just get a couple of sixers of this and just be good for the night. It was, we really, like that was like the worst era for drinking to go to, go to college because we still had four locos, we had those, and we still had the typical stuff that's out there now. It, it was a it was a tough scene because you would you would get handed one and think it was a Bud Light and have a couple of them and be like, that oh. was a Bud Light. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Burnett's? Right. Oh man, gosh, there are, some, there are some drinks that I just never need to see ever, yep. ever again. Just, ugh, no thank you. Okay, next week, uh, my guy, Matt Berry, the sports center anchor, ESPN college football host, not Matt Berry, the fantasy analyst. Uh, he's going to join us to give us a lowdown on Jaden Daniels to LSU, which is why we didn't really dig into that today. Uh, that'll be great because Matt, of course, Arizona State grad, diehard mm -hmm. fan. Um, and Matt, 
Also, just signed a new contract at ESPN, as first reported by Saturday Down South. Yeah, mm-hmm. fun fact. So we will discuss that. We'll discuss a whole lot more with him. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Go subscribe to Saturday Down South on YouTube. Join the Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the madness. Talk soon.